Hey folks, my name is Donovan James. I'm hosting a podcast called The Endless In Between, based off my book of the same name. While I was reflecting upon the themes and stories, I wondered how they would intersect with the artists, creatives, and healers that I've admired for so long. Listen as I explore their experiences and everything in between. I hope you enjoy. Hey folks, our guest today is Courtney Luckman. She is a person who stutters and is also a speech language pathologist at Speech IRL. Courtney is active in the stuttering community, currently serving as chair of the Junior Board for Shared Voices. I've been looking forward to today's conversation with anxious excitement. Throughout my work, I've spoken about my different identities and the one that I haven't yet found the way to bring to the front is my speech impediment. For those listening or for those that may have known me at various points in my life, I have a stutter and I've had it since I can remember. You also know that this is how I navigate the world around me. I'm leaning into this conversation because I want to take more steps towards healing shame and embarrassment, as well as to talk about how other folks that stutter navigate their world and how you could support folks with invisible disabilities. I really had a wonderful time talking with Courtney, and I hope that you all learn a lot. Enjoy the episode. Welcome. Thank you for creating and holding space with me today. Um, I'm so thankful that you're here today. You are a speech pathologist, and you also have, have a stutter. Uh, I would love for you to tell us your story. Yeah. So my story is kind of unique um, in the sense of I didn't really know that I stuttered until I was 20 and I just Googled like not being able to get your words out. Um, I, so when I was talking to my parents, they told me that at like age two, I, um, I would say uh, 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 instead of um, using words. And then uh, when I was watching home videos of myself, I noticed that like even as young as five, I was having silent blocks. So I felt stuck. I felt like I couldn't get um, any sound out. And I didn't know that that was stuttering. I always just thought that I just had this weird thing where like my words got stuck. And so I, throughout school and really up until I was 20, I just kind of became covert, which means kind of 
passing as fluent, not really talking about stuttering, kind of hiding it, changing words, not saying what you want to say, not talking, not participating in something that might require a lot of talking. Um, and then when I was 20, I, um, I was Googling things and I came across um, uh, someone who um, um, also had the same thing, which I, which I, um, which it was phrased as a stuttering block. And so that's kind of what I thought I had. And so that then turned into me going through an intensive program, which really changed my life. So now, and I know that we'll probably talk about this later on, but now I know that a stuttering block is stuttering. I just thought that stuttering was repetitions and prolongations. Um, but now that I've met um, hundreds of people who stutter, uh, everyone stutters in a totally different way. And um, at its core, uh, stuttering is just a break in fluency. So that can be repetitions, prolongations, or blocks. Thank you so much for sharing. So I know that you talked a little bit about like when you were called, like when, when you first noticed that like you had uh, a stutter, what were the reactions of those around you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it was, it was really mixed. So when I sort of like came out, which is kind of how I, how um, I define it, because mm -hmm. when I went to my intensive program, I didn't tell um, anyone where I was going. So none of my friends knew. And when I came back, I kind of had to tell them like where I was and like tell them about this thing that I had been hiding and I think it was it was a really mixed reaction I would say about half half of my friends as well as kind of my family friends and my extended family uh, they knew that you know there was something different about how I spoke and kind of always wondered why I paused when I spoke and then there were people who were like wow I had no idea right mm. and so, and, and I, I, I tend to interpret that as like, you know, maybe they interpreted my disfluencies, you know, in the sense of kind of thinking about the word, or maybe I just didn't talk as much around them. So, you know, it was, it was really a mixed bag. Um, but I think, um, it, you know, the, it, there were a lot of people, um, who were kind of relieved that I was finally talking about this. I, I had a friend um, who I had known since I was eight. Um, and she was like, wow, like, I'm so glad you're finally talking about this because like, I was so worried for you in school. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know like, if I should, you know, tell people. Um, like 
how I should react. And so, it, you know, there were, there were kind of all these questions that she was holding in for so long. And, um, and I should just add a disclaimer here. So, you know, my stuttering for most of my life had, has been just long silent blocks where I can't even get a single word out. I was having blocks that were anywhere from five seconds in duration to like a minute, right? You know, now I feel like I have just kind of gained more fluency throughout the years. I don't experience intense silent blocks anymore, but there are times when I do tend to stutter a lot more. So, you know, this is a very safe environment for mm. me here. So I'm not really stuttering a lot. Um, and if I do stutter, it's, I don't, I don't feel that sense of panic, but there are certainly higher feared situations for me where I will, you know, kind of feel that same sort of struggle and panic and tension. I think for me in hearing you talk about uh, the reaction to folks around you, I instantly recall for myself um, in eighth grade history and I don't know if you experienced this uh, when you were in school but I would always like especially when we would have to read aloud and they would like go from one person to the next person to the next person I would always follow along in my head and count in my head of like and until it, it was my turn to speak. And I just remember I would do that constantly. And then whenever it was my turn, like, I think what you said of like that panic, like it just like, it just like overtook me. And I just remember for me, like hearing people like get really frustrated around me, right? Of like, come on, like just say it or like, they would like um, even like imitate me. So like, and of course only I could hear it or at least I'm hoping that that would be the case. Cause if, cause like if a teacher heard it and didn't say anything, I think that's really messed up. But I think like for me, it's kind of that association of like, um, and some, I guess, the maybe some like trauma that I that I still think of when I am in larger situations right it's like oh like folks are gonna laugh at me or or tell me to go on with my speech and I think um similar to you as well um I think my family started noticing around when I was five. But I think for me, when I really um, became really aware of it, I think I was in third grade or so. And I went to like a speech pathologist at my school, but like, I don't remember them being much help. Like I remember just going for third grade grade and then I never went back again so I don't even know like I 
I I like legit don't even remember like what I did with the speech language pathologist, like what the conversation was around that. Um, but whenever I've been to conferences or stuff, um, or even um, at the group that you and, and I are part of, of friends, a lot of folks were talking about how their experiences when they were younger around getting help um, from speech and language pathologists wasn't really helpful at all. <laughs> um, so I know that like was super long-winded, but uh, I think it, uh, for me, it just like, it, I guess I find comfort in knowing like, oh, like we all kind of went through the same things or like it like almost blaming myself when I was younger that I had it and like feeling like I wish I could stop it right or like not really seeing anyone around me that had it as well. Mm -hmm. um, For folks listening, uh, would you mind defining what is a speech impediment and in particular what stuttering is? Yeah. So stuttering has tried to be defined throughout so many years. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, the short answer is we don't really know, but we have we have a lot of interesting research coming out, a lot of good guesses that are happening in terms of what stuttering is. So about a year ago, um, there was research um, trying to define stuttering from the person who stutters point of view. So this is actually, I mean, it, 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 it is kind of upsetting that this hasn't happened before, but mm. most of the research to kind of define a communication disorder or to define a speech impediment has come from, you know, the professionals. So this was trying to it, it interviewed a lot of people who stutter, I believe hundreds of people who stutter. Um, and the common theme was stuttering is defined as a loss of control of speech. So everything else kind of happens as a result of that. So when someone loses control of their speech, they might have a prolongation, they might have a repetition, they might have a block, they might have what we call secondary behaviors, which are things that people do to try to get the word out. For the most part, they are unhelpful things, you know, things like maybe tapping your finger or breaking eye contact or moving your head, you know, things like habits that we kind of develop over time. Um, and then there's the psychosocial component. So, you know, kind of how stuttering impacts your life or, you know, uh, the role of the environment, you know, there's, there's all of these other things that can like influence too. So when we talk about like, you know, a, a, a 
common question that people want to know is like what causes stuttering and I think for people who don't stutter when we think of stuttering people think of like when somebody gets nervous you know they tend to trip over their words but nerves or anxiety do do not cause stuttering. What causes stuttering is um, stuttering is a neurodevelopmental disorder. So what that means is that there are differences in the brains of people who stutter. There's a genetic component to it. And we're kind of converging on um, what we call a multifactorial model. So what this means is that there are these like subtle, subtle weaknesses that people who stutter have that do kind of contribute to the development of it stuttering. So this could be motor components, cognitive components, neurological components, genetic components, psychological components, you know, things like temperament. So there's kind of all of these things that factor in. There's no one single cause. So, you know, the way I kind of think about it is, you know, if you think about research in autism, there's not one single cause. There, you know, there are some genes that are found to be associated with it, but it, but it still is not a one-to-one -one correspondence. So something that came up for me while you were speaking as well is like, I've met some folks, uh, particularly parents of younger children that have a stutter. And one parent in particular, of course, monitor my story. Uh, and for them, their, their child hadn't started stuttering, I think maybe, I don't remember the, the specifics, but I think that their child was fine until maybe like, well, fine, whatever that means, <laughs> until they were like eight or nine. So, I guess like to just spell any like mids out there, like is stuttering something that can like just appear and can it go away? Like can like could I make my stutter go away? <laughs> yeah. So there's no cure for stuttering, right? Um but so there's, there's a lot um, in your question there. So most kids who start to stutter naturally recover from their stuttering. So they naturally grow out of it, okay? By around age eight. Um, but about 20% of children who stutter persist in their stuttering. There is a lot of research to kind of figure out why that is, right? And we, we have some ideas of like things that um, may contribute 
to the persistence of stuttering. And in terms of when people start to stutter, so it's really common to start to stutter when you have a period of language growth, right? Because it's hard to stutter um, if you're not speaking yet, or um, if you're not speaking in full sentences, right? So, you know, most, most kids start to stutter anywhere between the ages of like four and eight, okay? But yes, there are people, and I have met a fair amount of folks who say, well, I started to stutter at age eight or age 10 or age 12 or age 15, right? Mm -hmm. And it's tricky. So some of those folks, if you really pry into it, they're like, okay, well, yeah, I kind of, I remember stuttering once when I was five or like, yeah, you know, maybe I did stutter, but I just like didn't care about it. Or maybe I did stutter, but I wasn't really like aware of it until... Um, until I was 15, right? Um, so there, you know, most of the time, maybe about half of the time, people can kind of think back, okay, this is something that's um, always been a part of me. I don't know, and I don't know if we know yet, you know, why people start to stutter later in life. I, I think that's just something we don't know. But stuttering is not caused by trauma. It's not, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't really exactly know where that myth came from, but that is such a huge myth that like mm. stuttering is caused by a traumatic event. Um, and like anytime someone's like, well, you know, I, I started to stutter uh, right after my parent died or something, you know, it doesn't mean that your parent dying caused you to stutter it, it could just be you know coincidence or it could be that that was a trigger right like it could be that you you were you know you 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 kind of had a predisposition to stutter um or you like always stuttered but that kind of triggered it so that maybe made it worse so people don't stutter because of nervousness or because of anxiety but certainly when people who stutter are put in a nerve-wracking or anxiety-provoking situation, oftentimes people do tend to stutter more. Thank you for clarifying that. I feel like that's helpful for folks that maybe to have a stutter or for folks that are supporting those they love that have one, I think uh just dispelling those are really helpful and going off of that like i think with the with like media perception of folks that have a stutter i think it's really outdated and like not helpful <laughs> i feel like it not empowering and not like like accurately like representing like who we are as people that have a stutter so I'm wondering like kind of your thoughts on like the uh like within film and tv like how you how you you feel watching those and maybe ways that like media can like in 
can like improve on on the representation of folks that have a stutter. Yeah, I think representation of stuttering in the media has certainly changed over time. Um, it has certainly improved, but that doesn't mean it's perfect. Um, I think one thing that was really, really huge in, you know, uh, just like in the last few months was um, Joe Biden talking about his stuttering and uh, specifically Braden Harrington at the Democratic National Convention openly stuttering. Um, and I, I think I think my one of my I think two of my biggest problems with media representation of stuttering is first that it's kind of it's it's seen as this weakness or it's seen as something that needs to be fixed or it's the the story is always like oh gosh poor person who stutters let me work with you to help you become fluent and you know this storyline I thought I thought was coming to an end and then there were two two things that I just saw in the last few months one was uh the show Bridgerton on Netflix yes and although I was really happy to see like stuttering in that show the way it was portrayed left a lot of questions like okay so he so uh the uh one of the main characters in the show stuttered as a kid and and he worked with um you know this person which kind of helped him find his confidence and then like all of a sudden he was fluent and like I'm not opposed to that kind of storyline, but we need some like explanation. Like, does he still continue to stutter? Does he not? So I, I don't like the like, oh, I stuttered as a kid and I was like really bad, but then I became fluent and now I'm like confident, right? That's just not, that's not a realistic perception because people who stutter can't just become fluent. There's no care, right? So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, I think about how, ridiculous it would be if like we did that with somebody um who's in a wheelchair like oh poor thing in a wheelchair but let me help you walk oh now you can walk you're fine right mm, I mean we, yeah for some reason we allow ourselves to do this with stuttering and I don't know why <laughs> um and then the second thing that I just saw uh this week was I um, watched the movie um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and I didn't even know this was coming uh, there was a character um, in that movie and and what I mean by I didn't know this was coming was I am usually aware so so I knew when I watched Bridgerton that uh, there was a character who stutters. So like I was prepared to see that. Um, but um, in this movie, um, the nephew of the main character, Ma Rainey stutters and she asks him to do a voiceover for a song that um, that she is recording, and uh, because he stutters, he 
uh, they keep recording it like over and over. And the band gets like really impatient um, and gets like upset. Um, um, and basically they, they record it like over and over until he can say it fluently. And uh, when he does say, say it fluently, they're all like really happy, really proud of him. But it's like, wait, he didn't. So we're rewarding somebody for something that they didn't even consciously do or change. It just like happened that he said it fluently. And it's like, wait, what would happen if we changed the script and said, wait, can we have somebody doing a voiceover in a song that stutters, right? So mm. that is kind of my soapbox of this main theme of like, I would like to see people um, openly stuttering that like it's okay to portray a character who stutters that continues to stutter that there's nothing wrong with stuttering that you know can we just have like a character who stutters where like stuttering isn't the storyline like it's just like a normal thing right and mm. I don't know why media has a hard time doing that yeah, I think I think something you said earlier of like I think folks that are not familiar with like stuttering and based off of the uh based off what we're shown in movies and TV, it's almost like it's something that people perceive to do more with competence like if I can get you out of a perceived shyness right or if I can get you out of this anxiousness or whatever um make you more competent and I think it's interesting as an adult of like my stuttering and my competence they may intersect at times but they're completely separate. Like I feel confident in myself, like when I go to work, but I still stutter. So I think that's an important thing to separate out. And I think that to your point, I think media has really just portrayed it as like, this is who, who who you are rather, rather than a small part of someone's story. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I, I think there's still this like relationship between stuttering and confidence, which like, I mean, now, I mean, I have met so many people who stutter who are such excellent communicators who, who communicate so confidently and they stutter, right? Like, I don't know why those things are mutually exclusive or are portrayed as that because it's not um and I, I you know I can I I don't necessarily think that it's just all about stuttering like I I don't I don't think the media you know mm. is like out to get stuttering but it I I think it's a common thing with a lot of sort of marginalized and marginalized communities as well as 
you know, things that people are not used to seeing. Like I, I, I think there, there's just so many other populations I can think of that are, that I feel are misrepresented in the media or misperceived in the media. Could you explain how you began your career in speech pathology and kind of the pot and, and as well the population that you work with? Yeah, so I um I actually came upon this career kind of um indirectly. I was originally um pursuing a career in animal behavior, specifically primate research. I um, went to college and then I moved to Chicago for a um, internship at, at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Um, and my plan was to kind of stay there for a year um, and then go on for a PhD in primate research. Um, and that changed for for a lot of different reasons. Um, one being that you know the, the the primate research field was was kind of dying out. It, it there there wasn't really much left, and I was seeing like a lot of my friends, um, you know, not not really have a lot of great job opportunities, and I wasn't sure that I I wanted to put all this time into it and risk that. And so um, at the same time, when I moved here, I, um, I had been involved with the National Stuttering Association for a couple of years. And, um, and I noticed that there was not a National Stuttering Association chapter here. So mm -hmm. I contacted the um, re regional coordinator and he said, uh, there's not a chapter here, but um, someone is actually starting one up and here's her contact info. And uh, that person was Katie Gore who turned out to be a mentor, a friend of mine, and she is the founder of the speech therapy practice that I work in now. Um, so, you know, the short version was, you know, she really inspired me to kind of go into this field and I felt like I I had this deep passion for stuttering and I felt like that passion was something that I could really kind of make into a career. So I went to graduate school um, and then I moved back here and I started working for Katie. So that was in 2017. At the time um, I was the first full-time employee. Now we have roughly, I think we have about five employees and quite a few contractors. Uh, so the practice has really grown over time. 
Um, it started out as, you know, just kind of seeing adults who stutter and it has really morphed into, uh, we see adults who stutter, we see adults with articulation impairments, adults with language impairments, adults with social communication needs. Um, we see a lot of executive functioning clients. Uh, we do a lot of communication coaching. Um, so we primarily specialize in folks kind of like 18 to 60, right? Like people who don't really have um, anywhere else to go because a lot of speech therapy practices are geared towards kids or older adults. So I would say most of our clients are um, in their 20s and 30s. So me specifically, I primarily work with adults who stutter and adults with high functioning autism. So, you know, adults kind of with, with um, who, who, who want to improve their social communication skills. So, you know, want to become better at small talk or want to learn how to make friends or, you know, um, want to be able to kind of pick up on sarcasm more. So, you know, um, I, I always had a passion for stuttering, which then turned into this passion for really like helping young adults thrive. And I think there's a lot of parallels between the stuttering experience and the experience of people with other communication disorders. You know, we, we think of stuttering as an iceberg. What, what you see at the top, you know, the physical behaviors, and then all of these things underneath the surface of the water. So things that you can't see, but that are so significant and that are the most detrimental to the boat. Things like fear, things like shame, things like avoidance or not saying what you want to say or so many things that people can't see. And I think that the idea of an iceberg is relevant to all communication disorders. There's so much mm -hmm. underneath the surface. And so that's what really brings me joy is that that counseling component that, you know, that idea that communication is so intricate and, and, and so weaved into what we do. It's a part of every single aspect of daily life. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's a perfect segue into something that for myself, I've had to learn how to be an advocate for myself, uh, particularly within workspaces. And, you know, like, it's been such a learning curve, but now like I don't start like a new job without that, um, without talking about it. And even like, depending on my comfortability, I'll even 
say it like before I start a job interview. Um, and I remember in particular when I really started to advocate for myself is when I moved to Chicago. And I remember talking to my supervisor and being like, I have a stutter. I want you to know uh, because I, I want to be in a place where I feel respected and still have an understanding that like, I got this job for a reason and like I'm capable of doing it. Um, but I think a place where I find myself struggling the most and I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on this as far as like your personal experiences as well as, as clients that you see. I still struggle so much at larger social events, like going to parties, bars, or clubs, where I feel like uh, throughout this episode, like we've been using uh, the word panic a lot. And I think for me, that's the best way to describe how I feel. Just like a panic that gives hold of me and like the anxiousness sets in and then things can turn really, really, well unquote bad fast um so I guess I guess this is a two-part question so like how can folks advocate for themselves in a work setting and how can workplaces be accommodating to folks and then the second question would be how can folks have a stutter navigate larger social settings? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important question. Um, so the good thing about the times that we're in now uh, with COVID is that there's not too many times where people are going out to crowded bars or like in large events. Um, so that's good. but. In the, in the post-COVID world, uh, when we do start to go back to large events um, and, you know, I, your question kind of made me think of like the challenge of like navigating kind of a, a situation where you are with a lot of people, maybe it's loud, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to kind of like get a word in and then it, it makes it hard to like disclose because you, you know because you're talking to to a lot of different people um so i think in terms of that part of the question how to navigate large events unfortunately i don't have any advice because i think it's hard i think mm. I, I think my advice would be like prepare for it to be hard mm. like taught yourself some slack I think and this is total like a total like anecdote but I think people who stutter can be perfectionists and there is some research to support that but it's 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 more so kind of based on on 
my experience and the people who stutter that I've met and they can be really hard on themselves. And I totally like own those two things personally too. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I think there can be a lot of pressure to like, okay, like I'm confident in situation A, like I need to be confident in situation B or like I am able to speak more fluently in situation A. It's like, I need to carry that over to situation B. And the problem is, is, is fear. So the analogy that I use with my clients, um, and this is not, uh, this is not my, um, this is not my thing. I have taken this from someone else is the analogy of walking across a beam. So if, if I put a balance beam on the floor and I asked you to walk across it, like, okay, sure. <laughs> but then if I put it, let's say like, let's say a foot above the ground and I asked you to walk across it, you'd probably say, sure. And then I raised it 10 feet. Well, you might say, okay, it's like a little harder, but I could probably do it. What about a hundred feet? What if I said, walk across that beam a hundred feet? Mm. They, ooh, uh, I don't know, right? But it's the same motor task, right? It's, it's the same thing. You just did it fine on the floor. You just did it fine when it was raised a foot, right? But now there's fear. Fear can influence motor behavior okay there's uh there's a sense of risk there's 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 something more that's happening so just because you are confident in you know talking to me um, in the therapy room or talking to your friends in a quiet environment does not mean that you will be able to perform that task in a different environment so to sum it up, I would say to not be so hard on yourself and to figure out an intention that you can hold yourself accountable for. Maybe I just want to show up to the party. Maybe I have been like avoiding parties and my intention, my goal is just to show up. Or maybe my intention is to talk to one person. Or maybe my intention is to talk to one person and self-disclose to them, right? So it, there, there's all sorts of things that, that we can talk about there. In terms of advocating for work, I think that there's been a lot of good conversation around this uh, within the stuttering community. And um, the National Stuttering Association has a fantastic initiative called We Stutter at Work uh, that, I, that I would, you know, I highly recommend uh, people check that out. Um, in my personal opinion, I think self-disclosure can be huge. And that's not just telling your employer that you stutter. It's telling your employer that you stutter. Here's what's hard for me. Here's how you can make accommodations for me. I think mm -hmm. the employer really, really just wants people to be honest. They want to know how they can help right? And, you know, people who stutter should know that 
they are covered under the law that stuttering is considered a disability according to the the Americans with Disabilities Act, the um, ADA. So they can ask for a reasonable accommodation at work. Now, you know, I, I could I could go on for, you know, for for a, a long time in terms of kind of how that can be tricky, how you know there there might be some shady things that that employers might do. But I guess my advice is. I wouldn't want to work for an employer who doesn't want me, who doesn't respect me, who doesn't, who doesn't embrace the fact that I stutter, right? So like, there's so much more to you as, as an employee than you're stuttering. And there's so much more to communication than fluency. Yeah, I really, like that I think that when I started at my current workplace I found more confidence to like not only disclose like hey I have a stutter but this is what I need from you right and you know like it was an uncomfortable conversation for me because I I was kind of gonna just let it be, but then I found myself in a situation where I had been there almost a month and there was someone that would always interrupt me when I was speaking. And it really got to me, one, because it's rude, like just in general, but two, as someone that said this, and maybe you can attest to this within your experiences too, but like that has happened to me my whole life. And just in like a workspace, for me, I expect more out of like, out of a workplace and out of like, quote unquote, uh, professionalism. So I had this thoughts in my head, but I was also like, this person that's interrupting you will not know that you're feeling that way unless you say something. And also most people don't even probably know someone that has a stutter and maybe they do, but they've never thought of it in a way unless you bring it up. So again, for me, although I was very uncomfortable bringing it to my supervisor, I'm very happy that I decided to because she was very very supportive and like you said of like how can I help you like is this something that we should bring to the staff overall and I am so happy that I had that conversation because other folks um after that conversation maybe like a couple days later my supervisor was like I think what what you did in starting that conversation it allowed other people to open up about identities that they have um, and how we can better support them. I think something for me that was really heartwarming was there was there there, there was a woman on staff that I work with and her son has a stutter and I had 
followed up in an email to staff after that conversation, like telling them about the National Southern Association, specifically the chapter we have in Chicago, uh, and just like how in a way y'all have really inspired me to, to, to advocate for myself. And uh, when, uh, when she had read that email, she felt compelled to talk with me about her son and she was always in tears. And I think it's stuff like that where like, I could have been the first person in her life that she knew was not gonna judge her, right? Of like feeling like, like it's her fault as a parent, which I know it's not, which you know it's not. So like having that space for her and holding that space for her, I I felt very like privileged that she would share that with me. Um, and I gave her uh, the National Southern Association as a resource, and I and I hope that she uses it. Um, but yeah, I um, speak that that for me speaks about the workplace um yeah and I'm 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 so thankful that you brought up the point of like just setting some intentions and like just being like this this is what it's gonna be for me and if I screw up in this setting then I screw up but like just being gentle with myself um, and, and I don't know if you yourself have experienced this or had clients that have experienced it, but, um, I know for me, like, and again, it goes back to communication just as a whole, where, like, for me, it's so much easier in this type of setting. Like, it's just you and I, it's, pretty calm and chill and like I think that's just how I am as a person so I derive off of conversations and like quieter spaces whereas like in clubs and bars it's really hard for me to delve into conversations when there's like pounding music and usually if there is like loud music I just want to dance I don't want to talk so it's like I think for me it's like when I'm in those spaces, again, like, what are my intentions? And like, I think that something comes up for me that I'm wondering if you could voice to, for maybe folks that are listening that that know me, or even folks that know someone in their life that has a stutter, how can they support folks that have a stutter when, when they're in those, uh, settings and in the social settings that may cause um, stuttering to be more prevalent. So I guess as an example of like, if I, if I know that I'm going to, to a club and my friend invited like a couple of friends that I don't know from work, um, like, how could my friend support me like going into that event? That's also a very challenging question. Mm. I'm, I'm glad that you are posing these questions because I, I think they're things that 
I, I, I think I think that's such a good question because I think a lot of people who don't stutter who who are allies to people who stutter kind of have that same question, right? Like, how can I help you? Like, should I like should I say this? Should I not say this? Should I like maintain eye contact with you? Should I not maintain eye contact? Right. Um uh I I wrote a blog post on the speech IRL blog that I titled help my significant other stutters. And mm -hmm. it was really trying to answer that question of, yeah, how, how should we react when someone is stuttering? Like, what should I talk about? What should I not talk about? Um, I think going back to your example of your, your friend, you're, you're, you're going out and your friend invites other friends. And I think that's an interesting question because should should your friend should your friend like disclose for you? Should your friends tell you know the friends that 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 they are inviting that this person stutters? And I'm not I'm not sure if that's the answer here. I I think I think people who stutter. I think we are accountable for ourselves. I, I don't. I don't think there needs to be any like clarification. Just like if 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 I invited a friend of mine that's like overweight, I'm not gonna like disclose that to my friends before because it's just like a part of that person, right? Like in the same way that stuttering yeah. is a part of that person. I think when it gets tricky is when, like, let's say your friend is introducing you to their friend and you have a really long block and the friend kind of looks at your friend and is like what's going on right yeah, does yeah. your friend step in does your friend not not step in um i i i think it really depends on the person like me personally i don't want my friends to like clarify it for me like i would rather kind of handle my own and just say oh like by the way i stutter or even not disclose and just kind of like, like if that friend is really curious about why I had a long block or like why I talked a certain way, then like they can ask my friend afterwards, you know? So like, I don't think we need to make it a bigger deal than it is, but I think, and I, I'm, I'm such a big proponent of self-disclosure because I think in mm. those types of situations, it's like, it's not like the person cares that you're stuttering they're just like concerned, they're confused. They don't know what's, happening and I can't tell you how many times I've been in that that like exact situation where like I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know I stutter but then somebody doesn't it, it just it just makes it really hard um so I think it really is personal preference I think I think if this is the type of thing that bothers you or that is recurring I think it's important for you to kind of initiate the conversation with your friend because if we're relying on kind of our friends to be allies, but then maybe they're not comfortable bringing it up. Like they don't know if they should like bring up your stuttering. So it's important to talk to your friends about stuttering that like, hey, like this is something we can talk about, right? Like we, it doesn't have to be the elephant in the room. With that being said, I think there are a lot of kind of simple things that people who don't stutter can do um, that are helpful, such as like, continue to maintain eye contact when somebody's in a block like don't 
look down or look away. Um, don't finish their sentence. Don't interrupt them. Um, don't assume that the person who stutters does not want to participate or talk. Like, you know, it, it, I, I think people might kind of like sort of veer towards this idea of like, oh, well, like, I don't want to put you on the spot. Like, I, you know, and I think like most people who stutter do want to participate, do want to talk, don't want to avoid. So, you know, you can still give folks the opportunity. Um, and, and I think the number one thing for me is like, treat people who stutter like you would treat anybody else, right? And uh, back to your yeah. e example about like interrupting, right? Yeah, it's never okay to like interrupt somebody purposefully, right? I think there are a lot of people who, who um, unintentionally do it. And I think it's hard to have a conversation without some sort of like interruption happening. I think humans are like always sort of talking over each other, but just knowing that people who stutter just need a little bit more time to talk. If they're having a hard time getting the word out, just give them time, right? I, you know, one of the things that, that again is really hard to, to sort out is, you know, I used to have such a hard time with answering the phone, whether it was just saying, hello or saying a script that I had to say at work when I worked at a restaurant it was so hard for me to get a single sound out and so that led people to say like hello 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 are you there mm -hmm. and I and that was so like it just crushed me. Like I, I, I still, I, I just like, I can hear that back and I hate that, but it's like, I can't expect people to not do that because they don't hear sound. So they're wondering if the person's there. The first thought is not, oh, this person stutters. The first thought is like, I think there's a bad phone connection, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. which I, which I know people who stutter, it's like, nope, nope. And I have had times where I have even like clarified that, like, no, I stutter. And the person's like, no, pretty sure. I, I just can't, you're, you're, breaking up. I'm like, nope, I stutter. Um, so, you know, something that, and I, I think it's, it's easy to do when you are familiar with it, but something I always do when I answer the phone or when I'm calling somebody and there's like, a, you know, a little bit of silence is, is I just wait a little bit. Like I don't automatically assume that there's a bad phone connection. I just, I, 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 I rarely now say like, hello, hello, like maybe I'll say hello once and then pause and then, you know, maybe say it again, like 10 seconds after, right? So it's just those like little things. And I know that stuttering is a small percent of the population, but I'm sure everyone at some point um, in their lives will be on a phone conversation with someone who stutters. So mm. Um, it's an important thing to practice. I think you brought up like a lot of wonderful points and like just how, how, how these things can show up for, for anyone within their lives and like just 
how you can support or perhaps step back for folks at Southern. So I thank you for that. I'm thinking of like friends and family. How for me, they've they've probably always known me as a person that stutters. Uh, being transparent in this moment is like my family supports me and supported me, but they were also at times the very folks that would tease me for my stutter, right? So I guess like families have, have their things where like maybe it's not intentional and it's not done purposely, but it it's just what they've done. So how can families kind of re reassess and re and reframe their relationship? to a person that's others are stuttering. There are so many different things I think that families can do to help support. And I, and I think most of them are pretty small things. And, and, I'm, and, and I think in your example, it's more so taking away some of the things that they do. So it's not like these are things you should do, but maybe talking to them about these are things that, these, these are things that are uncomfortable for me or when you make fun of me, this is how I feel, right? I, I, I think most parents just want their child to be happy, but how that manifests it can be tricky because you know there are a, a lot of parents who feel like, well, I feel like my child's not going to be happy or is not able is not going to be able to achieve their goals in life if they stutter. So, you know, that that's that's a whole different conversation. So, um, but but I, I think coming back to your question about how can parents support their 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 kids, I think having an open conversation. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of communication breakdowns and parents don't really know, like they might think that like finishing your sentences or like, or, or interrupting you is helpful. Um, my, my parents have come a long way. I think, I think one thing that has been really helpful for them is, is attending self-help groups. So when they came mm. to the, National Stuttering Association conference. Um, they've, you know, they've listened to, you know, to podcasts I've been on. You know, they uh, right before this call, I was talking to my parents and I told them uh, that I was going to be interviewed on a podcast and they said oh send us the link when it's up right and so like just that small kind of validation of support you know and then them kind of taking the time to hear what I have to say I, I don't necessarily think there needs to be like okay let's have like a family meeting to 
talk about stuttering. I think change <laughs> time. I think kind of um, thinking about my fiance and kind of how long it took him to really understand the experience of stuttering took a long time. Um, and, and, and I think about kind of what, what got him, you know, to this, to this place of truly understanding and being able to support me. And I think it's just from meeting other people who stutter, as well as like, listening to my stories. And what I mean by listening to my stories is if, if today I was having a hard stuttering day, instead of saying something like, oh, well, like, you know, uh, you don't stutter that much or like, well, I'm sure like it was fine, right? You could say something like, that sounds hard. Yeah, you know, sorry, you had a, you had a hard day. And I, I think people are trying to do what, what they think helps is kind of saying, well, it's like totally okay, whatever. Like, you don't stutter that much. But then that makes me think, okay, so when I do stutter a lot, you don't accept me? Like, it's not okay? Um, so I think parents and families can learn about stuttering, be there for their child or young adult and not um, inadvertently create an environment where fluency is rewarded and mm. stuttering is punished. Um, the other thing I would highly recommend, there are a lot of really fantastic documentaries about stuttering out. Um, there's When I Stutter, there's uh, The Way We Talk, and there's My Beautiful Stutter. There's also a short film called Stutter uh, that won an Academy Award a few years ago. Those are such fantastic ways to like sit down with your family and kind of have a conversation about it, right? Because sometimes it can be helpful to talk about stuttering removed from yourself. And, mm -hmm. you know, because I think it can be really hard for like someone to, to talk to their loved ones about their personal stuttering. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think these, these resources and just your tips are going to help like a lot of folks. Um, I'm wondering how has working with, with the stuttering community, which is a community that you're a part of, helped you grow more comfortable um, as a person that's others? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's impossible to like break those two things apart. Like there, there's no such thing as like the stuttering community and like who I am as a person who stutters because who I am as a person who stutters is 
because of the stuttering community. And like, you know, I, I think people use the term like it changed my life as, you know, I, as a as a as a common phrase, but I really, and you know, I, I when I think about my life, I, I, I truly believe that meeting other people who stutter, getting involved in the stuttering community, having friends who stutter, who I can just text when I'm having a hard stuttering day. That's been an absolute game changer for me. And I have, I have, I have no idea where I would be without that community and that support. And like, as, um, as a speech therapist, I, I, I will 100% go like against, you know, my field and say, I absolutely think that self-help and support groups are so much more effective than speech therapy. Now, mm. I, I think there is value to doing both, right? I think there are some things that you can get out of working with a speech language pathologist one-on-one -on -one that you might not be able to get um, in the support and self-help community but I, that that is just it's so important because stuttering can be so lonely it can be isolating and I know how it feels to feel like you're the only one in the world who has this it's 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 not a way to live and I think we are at such a fantastic time technology wise where there are tons of like online communities there are virtual conferences now there there are there are so many excellent stuttering support groups and organizations um that can help with this that can build a stuttering community for you yeah for folks that are listening what are, what are some organizations that you would want people to check out so um when we're thinking about kind of um self-help groups we can talk about the national stuttering as Association. They have a national conference every year and local chapters. There is Friends, uh, which is really fantastic for kids and teens who stutter. They have uh, national conferences as well and local conferences. Um, they uh, currently also have a great, um, 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 a great virtual initiative where they have a lot of su support groups online for kids, teens, and adults who stutter. Um, here in Chicago, uh, there are shared voices. Um, we do, we are primarily a community center for uh, people who stutter in Chicago. Uh, we have advocacy events, we have 
support groups. We have um, we have educational events. Um, uh, there are all sorts of things that that we do, um, and then online there are there are so many support groups. There's um, uh, there's a group on Reddit. There's a group on Discord. Um, there are tons of Facebook groups. There are um, Instagram uh, pages. Um, there are TikTok pages. Um, so you know, it's 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 there's there's so much information out there, which uh, which can be a bad thing too, because it can be hard to kind of weed out the um, um, information that is um, accurate versus you know I, I think there's a there's a lot of misinformation about stuttering that is put out um, um, online. So we do have to be careful about that. Um, and I, um, I just want to mention too, um, uh, the podcast Stutter Talk, uh, which is a fantastic podcast. Um, they put out a book too, uh, that is just a Stutter Talk book. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. Um, Speaking of books, there are also a lot of other great books about stuttering, um, such as Catherine Preston's book, Out With It. Um, James Hayden has a fantastic book out about stuttering. There's a book that's called Stammering Pride and Prejudice uh, that is Great too. Thank you so much. Um, how can folks connect with you after today's show? Um, folks can connect with me um, through shared voices or through speech IRL. Um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you have any questions at all, uh, you can always um, email me. Um, and that is just my first name, Courtney at speechirl.com. Before we close, I have to ask, when in the last week have you experienced joy? In the last week, I experienced joy when I was interacting with my dog. My dog brings me a lot of joy. He is two. Um, he's seven pounds and uh, uh, whenever he cuddles with me or uh, just lays on my lap, that brings me a lot of joy. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you again for being here for taking, taking the time to share your expertise and experience. I, I am really appreciative for you. I'm sure folks li listening are as well. And I just thank you for being here and I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was 
so much fun. Thank you. Hey folks, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Endless in between underscore podcast and on Twitter at John O. James 4. Until next time, bye!